0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, June 24th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. This week, we get the mayor's thoughts on what more needs to be done to make Calgarians feel safe amid rising cases of crime and violence, part of our Safe City series. Next, we head south of the border and catch up with Global News Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. Jackson brings us details on a proposed gas tax holiday being floated by President Joe Biden and the latest in the ongoing January 6th insurrection inquiry. He's one of the top minds in the CFL and just happens to be the president and general manager of the Calgary Stampeders. Ahead of the Stamps Week 3 matchup against the Edmonton Elks, we catch up with John Huffnagel. And finally, just in time for the weekend, a new movie for fans of The King of Rock and Roll and an edge-of-your-seat horror flick based on the writing of Stephen King's son. Another edition of Couch Potatoes with Brett McGarry. What's fueling the rise of crime and social disorder in our city? Is there anything we can do about it? 770 CHQR
1: presents an in-depth conversation, making Calgary a safe city.
2: Yes, addressing the safety concerns of Calgarians, that's the topic we've been digging into all this week. And joining us now on this Friday morning to discuss and put a cap on our Safe City series is Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning to you, Madam Mayor.
3: Good morning.
2: Don't know what happened. I don't know what happened either. We'll take responsibility for it because we don't <laughs> want to blame the mayor for anything. But oh, we do funny. want to pick your brain this morning because I don't know if you've heard our Safe City series. It's been running all week. And there are a lot of concerns about different aspects of safety within this city. Overall, though, your perspective, do you think the city of Calgary is
3: a safe city? You know, this idea of being uncomfortable, being um, downtown or being unsafe is the question we keep asking ourselves and I can tell you that in all the conversations I've had with stakeholders there has been a shift we've gone from simply feeling um you know not pleasant in spaces to actually feeling like we may be in harm's way and I think it is a reflection of the times in terms of the desperation that some people are feeling uh there's also a criminal element that did not exist in this way in the past and Calgary police service has told us very clearly That criminal element is preying on people that are in positions of vulnerability. And so we've got to look at this um, together and work on it collaboratively. We've invested money into increased um, officers to help things on transit. We have worked with the police service to create partnerships to help people get the supports that they need. And it will be an ongoing effort. We, We are looking at this very seriously.
0: Do we, uh, Madam Mayor, do we look at other cities for solutions that they've had success for? I know that, you know, it's almost like one of these things that if you have an issue and somebody else has had success or solved it, you might as well draw off their experience. Is that something that's being done?
3: Andy, it's an excellent question, and it's absolutely something that's being done. That's why we take the time to attend Federation of Canadian Municipalities. It's also another reason that we work with um, other cities in North America. Places like Houston, um, there's a couple of cities on the West Coast that have created collaborative models where if it's a mental health call or if there's any sort of health implication to a call that comes into 911, it's not just deployment of a police officer. It is someone that also has access to medical records. Should that be needed? If it's a domestic violence call, there's an expert that knows how to deal with those situations. So when we have seen those models work in other places, we've tried to port them here. And I have to give Calgary Police Service full props for the fact that they're investigating this with us to make sure that they're deployed on actual police calls as much as possible, freeing up their time to deliver police service and handing other calls to other organizations that are better suited.
2: On that note, and it's probably a dumb question because I'm sure I know the answer, but do you think that the police and do the police think they've got the staff and resources they need to keep us all safe on Calgary streets?
3: What we heard a couple of weeks ago when the police service came with police commission to give us an update is that their recruitment efforts have ramped up and their training efforts have ramped up. They went through a lot during the pandemic. Uh, They lost a a cycle of recruitment because of the pandemic. So they are playing catch-up. We have known that for some time, actually. There was a recruit class that was put on hold because they couldn't even keep up with attrition at the time. So they are actively trying to get more officers in place.
0: Let's go back to transit because this is something that does, and you, you'd mentioned that it's something you folks are looking at, uh, Mayor, but this seems to be almost daily. I'm seeing on social media pictures that I, I can't even believe are in our city. Could it not be as simple as, you know, having, you know, not just adding more officers, but having a, like almost a station at each uh, C train, for example, with like a bylaw officers? Yeah,
3: and you know what? We have talked about having officers on, on each of the major routes. One of the toughest things for us right now that we're dealing with, and this is why we have to engage other experts, it's the toxicity and um, the addictive qualities of the street drug supply that's creating an incredibly strange situation that's hard to deal with. Uh, Users are reacting in a very detached and violent manner, and it's something that officers have not had to deal with before, and certainly the public has not seen this before. So that's one of the, the angles that we're trying to address, Um, We're working with our provincial partners to make sure that we are dealing with all of these issues and actually getting to the core.
2: Changing uh, topics just slightly before we let you go, Mayor. You've been attending the Collision Conference or the Olympics of Tech. How are you selling Calgary as a destination to relocate tech companies and to build that side of things?
3: You know what was really interesting? I spent um, two days at the conference and in meeting with prospective businesses that are considering expanding operations. And we talked about this combination of looking for talented individuals to work in their companies and also attracting capital. And that's been the chicken and egg conversation. Is it when you start drawing more capital that talent starts locating in your city? Or is it the establishment of talent that draws capital? And Brad Perry from Calgary Economic Development and I have been looking at the research that's been done. We have demonstrated now that we have a critical mass of people who are talented in the ways that tech firms are looking. And that's drawing capital to our city. So those were, that's the crux of the conversations I had. People were really excited that Calgary turned up so well at Collision. So many of our startups were there. And all of us delivered the message that this is a great city to live in. And then the Economist ratings came out and proved our case.
0: Good stuff. Thank you so much for your time. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll catch up next week. In the meantime, have a great weekend, man.
3: You have a great weekend, too. Take care.
0: That is Calgary Mayor Joti Gondak, And uh, just a reminder, our, our uh, Safe City series continues next week. Okay. And on Monday, we're going to get your input. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you see as the greatest issues? How can we tackle these issues if you had full control of... All things, you know, Calgary and, and law enforcement. You know, what, what what are the solutions? Are the U.S. federal government announcing a gas tax holiday and uh, moving that forward? What it could look like? Joining us with details on this and the latest news from our southern neighbors is Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Good morning and happy Friday to you, Jackson.
4: Happy Friday.
0: What are the details surrounding this gas tax freeze, so-called gas tax freeze? How would it work? And uh, the president's going to get this going?
4: Yeah, this is a proposal by President Biden to lower record high gas prices. Now, gas prices were already starting to come down from their peak on their own. But essentially, at a time when there is record inflation in this country, Biden is looking to throw Americans a bone by uh, uh, implementing a holiday on the federal gas tax, which would remove about 18 cents per gallon from the price of gas. Not huge. It's a help. The problem is there is opposition to this from both Democrats and Republicans who effectively say not only does it really not do much in the big scheme of things, but also that, of course, is revenue that the federal government could use and, of course, sends the wrong message about reducing gas use at a time when climate change, of course, is a very real concern.
2: Speaking of uh, the two sides, the two v- basic sides in the United States and, and getting anything done, well, the Senate yesterday passing a bipartisan gun safety bill. Boy, there's been so much talk, Jackson, about getting something done on this topic. It, does this move it forward at all, or is this just very a very, very small kind of agreement?
4: It does, but I would say it is a tepid response. We are exactly one month uh, out from the shooting in Uvalde, the massacre in Uvalde, which, of course, that and the mass shooting in Buffalo are what prompted this rush to come up with some sort of gun control package. What they passed at the end of the day, though, doesn't do much in the big picture. It expands uh, background checks, for example, uh, mental health checks. It encourages states to implement so-called red flag laws that are meant to uh, keep guns out of the hands of potentially dangerous people, uh, and it expands funding for both school security and mental health initiatives, but Democrats, to get the number of Republicans on board to pass this, had to drop big-picture proposals like raising the minimum age to buy an assault-style weapon, the types of weapons used in both Buffalo and Uvalde. They wanted to raise that to 21. They had to drop that because that would have killed the entire package. So that's not happening. There is no federal red flag law. There is no attempt to resurrect the assault weapons ban, and even some of these proposals that are passing only have a 10-year timeline on them, which means that they have to be revisited 10 years years from now to to stay in effect
0: Hmm. well focusing on in uvalde texas the police chief in hot water now over police conduct during the mass shooting earlier this month around last month What, what what can you tell us about it
4: yeah, we heard this state-level inquiry in Uvalde this week, and it really sort of focused on the local police response. And among the sort of really disturbing details we learned is that police were in the hallway outside the classroom within three or four minutes, and they actually had ballistic shields and rifles. And yet the local incident commander, the local police chief, refused to allow uh, his officers to enter the, cu- the, the classroom and engage with uh, the gunman who was in there. He claimed his officers only had pistols with them. Uh, we also learned that the door to the classroom may never have been locked in the first place, Place, and yet the incident commander was actually waiting for a master key to unlock the door that was in fact not locked at all whatsoever. So really a sense that much of this tragedy could have been prevented by a faster police response. That police chief is now on leave. And of course, there's a big investigation and big calls for accountability here.
2: And is that coming from, you know, lawmakers from politicians, or is that coming from parents? What's sort of the, the reaction? Cause I mean, you're never going to bring the children back it, it, what happened, happened. Do they, do they want heads to roll over this in terms of, you know, who was in charge?
4: They do. I think there's a sense broadly, both from parents and from higher levels of law enforcement in Texas, that none of what happened is acceptable. Uh, the Texas Department of Public Safety, which is sort of the state level police force, they're the ones who testified at this state level hearing this week and said that everything that happened there and everything that unfolded goes counter to everything police know about active shooter and school shooter responses in the wake of the Columbine massacre. So really, there's a sense that nothing unfolded as it should have and that there will need to be some degree of accountability for that.
0: Still ongoing, uh, Jackson, and uh, certainly making headlines, Uh, the uh, January 6th panel. And uh, what is going on here as far as the insurrection hearings, it, it continues to unfold. I think some things shocking, some not so shocking. Where are we at right now?
4: Yeah, if you haven't been following it, the details are absolutely explosive. We had two hearings this week. The first one focused on the pressure campaign from Trump and his associates on the states to get them to overturn state-level results and to send a a group of fake electors to Washington so that essentially the outcome of the election, which of course is handled by the Electoral College, would be quote-unquote disputed and that might give Mike Pence wiggle room to overturn or at least suspend the election on January 6th. And really this scheme involving the fake electors is the focus of potential criminal prosecutions, because uh, quite likely it may have violated federal or perhaps state law in a place like Georgia. So lots of focus there. Uh, We heard recordings of Trump himself this week uh, pressuring these state-level officials, essentially saying, you know, find me the exact number of votes that I need to win a state like Georgia, for example. Uh, We heard uh, uh, the pressure campaign on state officials in Arizona to, again, make these sort of wish list things happen. And those state-level officials who say they still support Trump said they would not go along with this because it violated their oath to the Constitution and quite likely violated the law. And then yesterday we heard about Trump's pressure campaign directly on the Department of Justice to try and overturn the election, and of course he'd appointed his own loyalists to run the Department of Justice at this point, point. and essentially what it comes down to is Trump told his, lo- uh, his loyalists at the Department of Justice, hey, just say the election is disputed, leave it up to the Republicans in Congress, we'll handle it from there. One last bombshell out of all of this were of course the members of congress the republicans preemptively asking for pardons after january 6th uh, that is a big red flag i think that has uh, raised a lot of questions about uh, you know the level of coordination here and potential level of criminality
2: is this information these facts is that changing the mind of those who still believe in what donald trump was trying to push that message that the, the election was
4: rigged and that he won So this is the big unanswered question. I think, you know, three quarters of Republicans are sort of in the Trump corner, believe the lie that Joe Biden is somehow an illegitimate president. Will this change those views? Not necessarily. What it could do, though, in the eyes of some Republicans is essentially make Trump damaged goods and mean that they look at that in 2024, they look for a Trump like contender like a Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, somebody who they figure can carry on Trump's agenda without being as risky as Trump himself. And remember, voters typically don't like people who've lost elections. Trump lost an election. Mm -hmm. That might also sour perspectives on Trump a few years from now when we start looking for the next Republican presidential contender.
0: Before we let you go, Jackson, this is interesting, and it's not just a U.S. thing. There's been, you know, gray areas surrounding e-cigarettes, and now the U.S., the FDA, is ordering Juul, the company Juul, to stop selling e-cigarettes in the U.S., kind of a setback for the company, and this is kind of a big deal. It could be a precedent, couldn't it?
4: It is a big deal. Essentially, the FDA down here said that Jewel didn't li- uh, deliver sort of significant or, or uh, enough evidence about the toxicology of their products. And essentially, they're saying, you can't prove that these are safe. Pull them off the market. Of course, there's a lot of concern about teens and young adults uh, using these products with an unknown sort of health risk attached to them. And by one survey, uh, more than 2 million American teens are believed to be vaping right now. You Using jewel products. So, this is a significant development uh, on the public health front.
2: Wow. Okay. Thank you so much. Oh, so many things you've updated. Thanks for your help. Have a great weekend. Happy Friday to you.
4: Happy Friday. Have a great weekend.
2: Thank you. You too. I always appreciate checking in with Jackson. He's got the goods on every topic we need to ask him about. Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief. Calgary Stampeders face their provincial rivals, the the Edmonton Elks, tomorrow at McMahon Stadium. And joining us with details on what we can expect from the big game is John Huffnagel, President General Manager of the Calgary Stampeders. Good morning, John. Thanks for being with us.
1: Oh, Sue, so good morning to you, and uh, it's great to be here.
2: Well, a pleasure to chat with you. We always love to get your take ahead of a big game like this one. Um, I know we're still at the beginning of the season, but anytime we take on our provincial rivals, it is a big deal, isn't it? Yeah,
1: you're right. And uh, yeah, we played the Battle of Alberta four times this year, uh, so uh, winning the first one would uh, obviously be an advantage. Speaking
0: of winners, you had a personal win inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame.
1: How does it feel, and what does an honor like this mean to someone like you, Huff? Uh, Andrew, it was a very humbling experience. Uh, uh, I was thrilled by it. I was very uh, excited that so many of my family members uh, made the effort to get there. Uh, they came from all over North America, California, Texas, Florida, and Pennsylvania. So it was a great weekend, and um, honestly, uh, we wanted to win. We got to win. Uh, don't want that type of win anymore, though. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too, too hard in my heart. I'm too old. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's talk about uh, what we can expect from the big game, Huff. Uh, we take on Edmonton. It's always a big, uh, important clash for the fans. Isn't it yeah. as big a deal for the players?
1: Oh, yes, it is. And, you know, I mean, it, it's a game uh, between two teams that are still trying to find themselves. I mean, yeah, we, we're 2-0 and, and they're 0-2, but, you know, uh, we haven't played great football uh, for 60 minutes uh, yet. And we're going to have to do that. Uh, It's going to be a very uh, difficult game. Uh, The players do have a break after this game, and uh, that can be a distraction. So hopefully we're all on point and uh, do the necessary things and play good football for 60 minutes.
0: Talking with John Huffnagle, president and GM of the Calgary Stampeders. And I'd like you to, you know, if you could give us a comment, not only on the stamps, but on the state of the CFL, Huff, when it comes to, you know, we had that hiccup. We had the pandemic. We know that everything in life was put on hold. Do you feel like not only the Calgary Stampeders, but the CFL is back up to speed where we were uh, before the pandemic?
1: Well, we're getting there. I mean, the pandemic probably had more of an impact on the Alberta teams and uh, the other teams in, uh, in the country. But uh, uh, the people, I believe, are getting excited about getting back into McMahon Stadium. Hopefully, uh, they'll start showing up more. Uh, I we're a little disappointed in our crowds uh, in our preseason game in our home opener against Montreal. You know, but uh, it's supposed to be a great day on Saturday, uh, 20 degrees, sunshine, and uh, watching a 2-0 team trying to stay undefeated.
2: All right, John, we're going to make you uh, make a prediction at this point in time. Yes, it's still early in the season. You can give us a prediction on this weekend's game and maybe even as we head towards the whole end of the season. Do you think the Stamps have the talent and the depth to bring home the Cup once again?
1: Well, every year we go into the season thinking we have a good enough team uh, to compete for the Grey Cup. And then it all depends uh, how, how do the players respond Uh you know how much luck do you have? I mean, we won championships, but we've had to have a certain amount of uh, good luck uh, to accomplish that. So, uh, like I said, we're, we're still a young team. Especially on the defense in the defensive secondary, they're coming around. I'm, I really like uh, our athletic ability, uh, both in all three phases of our game. Uh, so we just have to put the games uh, together, uh, get better each and every week, and mm-hmm. grind it out. And I, th- I believe that we'll be one of those teams vying uh, for it at the end of the year.
0: Got our fingers crossed, and I know we'll be cheering on the red and white tomorrow night against those pesky Elks. And thanks for the update. Thanks for your time, John. Thank you, Sue and Andrew.
1: Appreciate
0: it. Yeah. That is John Huffnagel, President and General Manager of the Calgary Stampeders, again, pregame, kicking off here at 3.30 tomorrow uh, with kickoff at 5 o'clock.
3: He made
0: a Calgary. It's our Friday catch up with Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes and a couple of, you know, real half decent picks and completely different picks. First one, we're going to go back in time and tell a story that's been told before, a retelling of a story of one of the greatest of all time, Brett.
5: That's right. The first movie out of the gate this weekend is Elvis. I wish to promote
1: you, Mr. Presley. Are you ready to fly? I'm ready ready to fly. Elvis
5: is directed by Baz Luhrmann, who's done movies like Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge, and The Great Gatsby. Elvis is played by the relatively unknown Austin Butler, and which is probably for the best that they went with somebody that most people know. He was uh, in the Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He was at the Manson Commune or whatever, but uh, I I'd had I'd never actually Mm-mm. heard of this guy. Harry Styles. The famous singer from One Direction, now a successful solo artist, he actually vied for the role of Elvis, but they shot him down because they said, you're already a big star. We can't have a big star playing an even bigger star. So they just went with an unknown, which I think is great. And But then, as for the big star in the movie, Tom Hanks plays Colonel Tom Parker, who is Elvis Presley's promoter. The reviews for this are pretty good. Uh, currently, it's at 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the consensus seems to be that it's a pretty standard biopic, but uh, the added benefit of Boz energy and style, which is always unique, and a terrific lead performance by Butler. I think this movie looks incredible.
2: It looks pretty neat. I, I wasn't quite sure about the casting of him, but I think you're right, Brett. It had to be somebody who was an unknown, and fr- uh, from what we understand, uh, Priscilla Presley and the Presley Estate have given it two thumbs up. Is that right?
5: Yep, that's right. Yeah. So it looks uh, like they treat it with respect, and they show that uh, Colonel Tom Parker, uh, as his promoter, sometimes was good for Elvis and sometimes not so good mm-hmm. for Elvis. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this. Not sure if I'll go to the theaters to see it, yeah. but if you're, if you're a big a fan of the King, then this will be the movie
2: for you. Thank you. Kind of- <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> you, knew, you knew
5: that was coming.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, that's has uh, got a built-in audience there. And this one here, a uh, good horror flick just in time a few months early uh, from Halloween. But uh, The Black Phone, this one looks very interesting.
5: Yeah, I think I saw the trailer for this, I don't know, six months ago, and I thought, wow, that looks interesting, especially because Ethan Hawke is in it. Once again, the movie is called The Black Phone.
4: Would you like to see a magic trick? Who is
3: this?
4: The ones he took before you. He's watching you. But we're here with you. You have to hurry or you'll join us too.
5: So, the black phone is about a 13 year old kid named Finney who is abducted by a killer played by Ethan Hawke. And he's trapped in a soundproof basement where there's, you know, screaming is a futile exercise. But there is a phone on the wall which is disconnected. But then it starts to ring, so he answers the phone and realizes he's speaking to the ghosts of this killer's previous victims Ugh. and the, the ghosts are uniting to try to help him get out because they don't want anyone else to fall victim to this killer so it's a injury it's an interesting concept it's based on a short story from joe hill who is the son of stephen king mm. and uh, apparently that story is really good and really scary this movie's getting good reviews uh, around 86 percent rotten tomatoes but the 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 consensus there is that Probably could have been a little scarier, but it's still a solid adaptation of the story.
2: It sounds horrifying, and anyone related to Stephen King should be able to lay out a pretty terrifying movie, I would think, with a story like that. Thank you very much, Brett. couple of, as you said, very, very different ones, <laughs> but something to watch for at the uh, on the big screen this weekend at the movie theaters. Hey, have a great weekend, Brett. You too. He is Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.
0: And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.